Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. Political leaders, corporations, even sports teams applaud Black Lives Matter. But faith and family leaders in Illinois say that support should instead be directed toward building strong mom and dad families. During a Black Families Matter rally in Flossmoor, the Reverend Dr. Eric Wallace, the co-founder and president of the Freedom's Journal Institute, noted that God-centered families are the key to spiritual growth, positive social change, and economic stability in America. The church was not acting the way the church is supposed to be acting as far as I was concerned. We say that we were pro-life and we were voting for people who weren't pro-life. We said we were pro-traditional family, but we were voting for people who weren't. So our thing is, we are preaching the gospel. We're, we're more preaching the gospel to the church itself to live it out. Amen. It's one thing to, to hear the gospel and say, yeah, I accept Christ as my savior. It's another thing then to walk it out. And so we've got to learn how to walk it out. What does that mean? How does God influence everything that we do? Everything in every area not compartmentalize certain things and say, okay, Jesus, you can have this part, but you can't have this part. Or, like what's happening with Black Lives Matter, that we're putting our race ahead of our Christianity. People are using our emotions, if you will, to get people upset and to get them to do certain things that we normally wouldn't do. Protesting. After I found out what um, Black Lives Matter was about, I decided I could never, I could never march under the banner of Black Lives Matter. Now. I agree with the phrase, black lives matter. I agree with the phrase, white lives matter. I agree with the phrase that all lives matter. But I cannot follow that, understanding what they're all about. And I came to understand that when somebody asked me, a friend of mine asked me to, to speak at one of his events, and he gave me the task of speaking on black lives matter. Now, when he said that, that was the last thing I wanted to speak about. And I didn't really know anything about them, but I didn't want to, you know, I, black lives matter, okay. Yeah, obviously black lives matter. But when I went to the website and I found out that they were started by two lesbians and, and, and one woman who was more concerned about immigration and some other things, and that they were concerned about you know, being involved in the black liberation movement because they felt like the, the gay and lesbian folks had been left out of the black liberation movement, uh, that they wanted to you know, fight against the traditional family, but they call it cisgender, I think is the term, cisgender traditional family, they want to fight against that. Then all of a sudden I was like, okay. <laughs> This is something I could talk about. And so then we started Black Families Matter. But we started it as an alternative to Black Lives Matter. And the point was, if we really care about black lives, let's talk about the family. Because if we do something with the family, then we can do something about saving people's lives. And we can talk about not only black families, we can talk about white families, we can talk about Asian families, we can talk about Hispanic families, and not get upset about it. We can just talk about families in general. Because we know that the number one uh, foundation in our society is the family. Amen. One of the things that help us come up with how we're going to deal with this from a scriptural point of view is looking at the Gospel of Luke. It's one of my favorite Gospels. Because when Jesus comes, I used to look at the, the Gospel of Luke and his introduction in the first three chapters where it talks about the various government. One of the Caesars, one of the rulers of, of Rome decided they were going to call a, a census. And it lists all these Pontius Pilate and all these other folks. And at first I just thought these were historical markers, right? That Luke was trying to be an historian, and he is. 
But it also painted the picture that sometimes we miss was that Israel was under duress. They were being ruled by a foreign government. And who was born during this time? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So it does make a political statement, even though sometimes we act as though there's no politics in the Bible. It is there. It is there from the very beginning. The kingdom of God invades the kingdom of men. And that God calls us into allegiance to his kingdom. And you've got to decide whether you're going to serve men or you're going to serve God. These are the issues that are out here in the world. And where should we stand as believers? What does the biblical text have to say about these things? Someone said in this speech, you and I know how true this is in the African-American community. We know that more than half of all black children live in single-parent households, a number that has doubled. It has doubled since we were children. We know the statistics. The children who grow up without a father are more than five times more likely to live in poverty and to commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of schools, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They are more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teenage parents themselves. And the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. How many times, now this is important, what's been happening in our community recently. How many times in the last year has the city lost a child at the hands of another child? How many times have our hearts stopped in the middle of the night with the sound of a gunshot or a siren? How many teenagers have we seen hanging around on street corners when they should be sitting in a classroom? How many are sitting in prison when they should be working or at least looking for a job? How many in this generation are we willing to lose to poverty or violence or addiction? How many? Yes, we need more cops on the street. Yes, we need fewer guns in the hands of people. But we also need families to raise our children. We need fathers to realize that responsibility does not end at conception. We need them to realize that what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child. It's the courage to raise one. Anybody know who said that? Senator Barack Obama. So this isn't a partisan issue. <laughs> this is not a partisan issue. This isn't about Democrat, Republican, Independent, or anything else. Almost everyone you speak to understands, except those who want to destroy the family, understands that without fathers in the home, that it creates chaos in our communities. We need to decide what we're going to do, whether we're going to follow the Lord or, or not. We need to decide we're going to follow Christ regardless of the consequences. Amen. The Reverend Dr. Eric Wallace, the president of the Freedom's Journal Institute and a Republican candidate in the 40th District State Senate race. After time out, more from the Black Families Matter rally. We'll hear from David Smith, the executive director of the Illinois Family Institute and Illinois Family Action. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. The Supreme Court has ruled that religious schools have the constitutional right to employ teachers on the basis of their religious beliefs. The 7-2 decision is really important. The decision underlines the fact that religious schools have the right to be religious and to be free from government or legal action based upon their employment decisions when it comes to teachers. The two cases before the court presented hard situations, but the underlying principle was clear. Religious schools have the right to operate on their religious convictions without judicial review. As Justice Samuel Alito wrote for the majority, Quote, judicial review of the way in which religious schools discharge their responsibilities would undermine the independence of religious institutions in a way that the First Amendment does not tolerate, end quote. It's a big win for religious freedom, and this 7-2 decision sends a very loud message indeed. I'm Albert Moeller.
Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During the recent Black Families Matter rally in Flossmoor, David Smith, the executive director of the Illinois Family Institute and Illinois Family Action, gave a reminder that God created mankind in his own image and that racial division goes against God's plan. I firmly believe that we have a biblical worldview problem in our church. A lot of people say they believe the Bible, they believe Jesus is their Lord and Savior, but they don't know what the Lord says in His Word and how to think through things. So despite all the negativity dominating the headlines, the internet and the airwaves, we must be mindful of biblical truths and principles that override sinful prejudices, biases, and emotions. The violent and verbal bomb throwing that we've seen lately is destructive and unquestionably wicked. And in the wake of the George Floyd riots and years after the Charlottesville clash, rational discussions have been in short supply. We're seeing in this generation the culmination of decades of indoctrination in our government schools. The vilification of American culture and the embrace of what some falsely consider rights. We are at a very dangerous point in our society right now. We have fringe elements dictating policy through violence and mob action instead of through the democratic process. They are also influencing policy in corporate America. Godless voices are being amplified and their anti-Christian narratives are advancing. Religious liberty, Christian values are under attack. The goal of leftists is to marginalize and discredit Judeo-Christian values and influence. Will we let them succeed? No, I hope not. Serious Christians, do we have any serious Christians here today? Serious Christians must rise above the chaos, anger, and anxiety. We must refuse to respond in kind. Satan wants to frustrate us and distract us. He wants us to take our eyes off the ultimate prize. But God tells us in 1 Peter not to repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but rather with blessing. Is that countercultural? You better believe it. But our God, always, his ways are always better than our ways. So through this bedlam, we have an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus in our world and bring honor and glory to him. Our public testimony, other action or maybe inaction when it's right, during these troubled times can be powerful witness to an unbelieving world. As our culture becomes increasingly hostile to the things of God, we are seeing a tremendous increase in oppressive court rulings and legislation that is eroding our religious liberties. The embrace and dissemination of wickedness in government, schools, academia, the media, pop culture, are influencing our state and nation in deeply troubling ways. In response to grievous sin, the church is too often sinfully silent. Let me say that again. In response to grievous sin, the church is too often sinfully silent. Sinfully silent. I believe that this silence is being driven by a fear of man instead of a fear of God. Specifically an unwillingness to be persecuted and even hate it for our faith. 
Do you think they crucified Jesus because they loved him? No. No, he was a threat. They hated him. He wasn't that cotton candy Jesus the televangelist likes to preach about on TV. It's not difficult to see that the church has been contaminated by the lies of this world. With the rise of all kinds of wickedness, we can ill afford to be in separate foxholes as Christian oppression turns into Christian persecution. To be effective for the king and his kingdom, we must resolve to be unified with each other here locally, in the region, and beyond. Jesus tells us in John chapter 17, this prayer, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus wants us unified. We need to be one, just as he and the Father are one. Why? He says, that the world may believe that you sent me. If God desires unity, we should not be surprised to see Satan working overtime to divide us. We must not only be watchful for Satan's prowling ploys, but we must be intentional about hiding within our hearts biblical truths and principles which enable us to dispel the lies of our culture, the lies that Satan wants us to buy. Satan wants us to believe that one race, one skin color is superior to every other. It's a lie. Scripture warns us in Romans 12, 3, not to think more highly of ourselves, to think soberly about how God deals with each of us. We are to think about the truths of God, meditate on them, and believe them. God clearly tells us that we are made in His image and that His human creation is fearfully and wonderfully made. Like David in the, in the book of Psalms, we should praise Him for this reality. David wrote this in Psalm 139 verse 14. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. And then in Genesis 1, we have this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The Apostle Paul gives us even more detail about God's crown jewel of creation. In Acts chapter 17, he says, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling. Guess what? Is it a fluke that we're all here in America on the south side of Chicago? No. Doesn't take God by surprise. He knew it. He appointed it. So there's a lot of other verses that talk about this. Do we understand what the Bible is teaching us about who we are? If God's word says that we're all made in his image and we are all fearfully and wonderfully made and created from one blood, we have absolutely no right to assert any other claim. God alone is the author of life. He determines how we're to be like him and how special we are in his grand plan. We have zero authority to claim special status, privilege, or standing in his created order. It's woefully prideful to think that we are better than others simply because of where we come from, where we were born, the pigment of our skin, or any other physical attribute. 
In fact, Scripture is clear about our human condition. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now this problem is universally true. It's not unique to any particular people group. It affects us all. A wicked heart, an unregenerate heart, deceives people into believing the vile propaganda that comes out of groups like KKK, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and neo-Nazis. The flawed thinking that one group of humans is intrinsically more valuable than others has led to indirect prejudices, discrimination, hostility, and even violence directed against fellow human beings. These conscience or subconscious thoughts, beliefs, and feelings must be eradicated. Scripture tells us to take every thought captive, and those that are wicked, those wicked thoughts, must be destroyed. There are good reasons why Scripture warns us not to become bitter or resentful, to do all things in love, to do all things for the glory of God, to set our minds on the things above, not on earthly things, to be content in all things, to stand firm in the work of the Lord, and to seek first the kingdom of God. God shows no partiality with man, nor should we. In fact, James warns us, if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. That's James 2, verse 9. And doesn't the second great commandment instruct us to love our neighbors as ourselves? On the flip side, Scripture tells us in Proverbs 41, He who despises his neighbor sins. Proverbs 41. And in the epistle of 1 John, we're cautioned. He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We have many thousands of people who are walking in darkness today. They need the word of God. They need Jesus. So in response to this, we have to make sure that we are immersed in God's word, that our hearts align with his perfection. We must think biblically about our condition and see ourselves as God sees us. We must understand, too, that a critical spirit and a complaining heart or tongue is the sin of discontent. Instead, in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it teaches us that we are to be thankful in all circumstances. And James exhorts us to, be, to, to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. So, we must pursue true biblical love, which is defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I don't have time to read the whole chapter, but I think these three verses speak volumes to us. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 6 says this, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Brothers and sisters, read that 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians every day if possible. It is a good reminder of our high calling in Jesus. In response to the cultural chaos, we must pray that the influence of the body of Christ would awaken and permeate the culture 
a major reason of why we're at this volatile point is because we as a society have forgotten God. We have forgotten God. Let that not be said of us. We must devote ourselves to the Word of God and to prayer. We must intentionally teach our children and grandchildren these biblical truths. And as often as we must, each one of us need to repent from sinful attitudes and prideful thoughts. We must pray regularly that God would raise up bold Christian leaders in the Chicago region and throughout the state and nation. Pray for our local authorities. Governor Pritzker, yeah, pray for them. State lawmakers, county board members, and our local mayors and the men and women who serve in our neighborhoods as police officers. Finally, please pray for national repentance and revival. Repentance has got to come before revival. We need to ask God to forgive us for the sin of the murder of innocent preborn babies. Thank you. IFI's David Smith during the recent Black Families Matter rally in Flossmoor. Be sure to visit blackfamiliesmatter.org. And if life, families, and faith are important to you, make sure you are registered to vote or update your voter registration. And if your church leaders give the okay, hold a voter registration drive at your church. It's legal, it's nonpartisan, and it's patriotic. Find out more by going to the IllinoisFamily.org homepage. Please support the work of IFI. All donations are tax deductible. Also tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize. 